0: So I showed it to the doctor and, well, she said it's
1: smashing. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about an interesting open source tool called Sourcebit. How can it help our content workflow with Jamstack sites? We speak to its developer, Eduardo Bosas, to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes a brand new article to the website five days a week? That's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help.
0: It's your weekly update.
1: In his sixth instalment of Inspired Design Decisions, Andy Clark explores how British art director Neville Brody and, in particular, his work on the Face magazine inspires his designs for the web. How do we use blend modes to add depth to our designs? How do we use vertical text for impact? How can we use clipping paths to bring character and energy to a design? In this article, Andy explores just that. In When You Find a Good Idea, Look for a Better One, Tony Kim takes a look at the concept of prototyping to help formulate the main trajectory of a design by framing your mind around continuous pursuit of better concepts. Tony looks at Protopy, a tool that will help you prototype in the best way possible to validate an idea and bring it to life. Rachel Andrew this week asks, Why are we talking about CSS4? Around the web and within the CSS Working Group, there's been some discussion about whether a version of CSS should be specified, perhaps naming it CSS4. In this article, Rachel rounds up some of the pros and cons of doing so and asks for your feedback on the suggestion. In Introducing Alpine.js, a tiny JavaScript framework, Phil Smith shows us Alpine, which comes in at a fraction of the size of frameworks such as jQuery, Bootstrap, Vue, or React, and involves no build steps, but provides all of the tools you need to build a basic user interface. And... Sandamal's Cerepathy helps us avoid keyboard event-related bugs in browser-based transliteration, noting that the typical method of implementing input of non-English characters using an English keyboard is via keyboard event capturing. With no uniform support from mobile browsers, this article explains a new method to eliminate browser-related problems when developing web apps that use transliteration. And that is your weekly update.
0: Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com articles.
1: He's a web developer, technologist, writer, and occasional public speaker with a strong track record of working on open source projects. He works as a software engineer on the Jamstack site management platform Stackbit and develops open source tools such as Staticman, SpeedTracker, and Sourcebit. So we know he's an expert in the modern web platform. But did you know he's deathly allergic to Wednesday? My smashing friends, please welcome Eduardo Bosas. Hi, Eduardo. How are you? I'm smashing. I wanted to talk to you today about a tool that I know you've been working on called Sourcebit. I know you do a lot of work both at the day job Stackbit and personally in your own time around sort of tooling with sort of what we now call Jamstack sites. So before we talk about what Sourcebit does itself, perhaps you can tell us a bit about the sort of scenario uh, with a Jamstack site that might lead to somebody needing a tool like Sourcebit.
0: Sure. So to go back in time a little bit, when I, when I started using um, a static site generator, um, my, my, first, um, my first encounter with a Jamstack was with Jekyll, as I'm sure many people uh, are as well. And... When I, when I started uh, using Jekyll for my, for my site, uh, the, the authoring experience uh, was, um, was a bit uh, uh, cumbersome, so it involved um, manually editing markdown files on my local machine and then pushing them to a, to a Git repo and then the thing would, would get integrated and built. Um, and that's still a workflow that you know that, that exists today, and that many many people use, and it makes sense for a lot of people in a lot of organizations. But it doesn't. Um, first of all, it doesn't scale very well if you have uh, like a, a larger team, and especially if you have people from less technical backgrounds who may not be uh, comfortable with uh, with Markdown or with using Git or with that whole. Um, pushing to a GitHub repo workflow. And so um, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, to couple a static site generator with what is now these, these days called a headless or a decoupled CMS. So if you come from, uh, from a more um, traditional web development background where you might use something like WordPress, um, a headless CMS is something that, that behaves in a, very, uh, in a very similar way. So you still have this interface where you can author your content and you have a nice uh, uh, WYSIWYG editor and media management and everything. But the output of such a platform is not a fully formatted uh, HTML page. And instead, the content is uh, exported uh, in in a way in a format that is agnostic of any technology or any tech stack, uh, and so that content is uh, is is it, it's possible to integrate that content with your static site generator, and that's why I think uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to couple a headless CMS with a static site generator because you kind of get the uh, you, you kind of get the best of both worlds in the sense that you get. The performance, the security, and the simplicity of using a static site generator, but at the same time, you still get uh, kind of a rich um, um, authoring experience by using a, a, a nice uh, editorial interface. And and even though it makes a lot of sense to couple those those two um, tools together, it's not uh, it's not particularly straightforward to to integrate them. Um, especially if you're using a more traditional um, file-based static site generator, such as Jekyll or Hugo, uh, where everything has to live as a file. So, how do you how do you take that content that lives in this in this uh, uh, headless CMS, and how do you translate that into files that your static site generator can can understand and can process? And so, as you said, I'm I'm super passionate about creating tools for developers, and, and particularly creating tools that allows developers to, um, to, to, to use um, the JAMstack the, the uh, paradigm with as little friction as possible. And that's where uh, Sourcebit comes in. That's why I'm super passionate about this project in, in, in particular. So the idea is that Sourcebit allows you to connect to any uh, API-based data source, such as a headless CMS, you sort of tell it um, where your content lives. You help it make some sense of the structure of your content. And then SourceBit takes care of sucking all that content down and, and kind of writing it into the files with the formats and the locations that your static site generator um, is expecting. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the, uh, um, the idea behind SourceBit.
1: So, rather than um, having authors work directly with Markdown files that your static site generator turns into a site, you've got your authors working with another tool, a headless CMS, um, maybe something like Contentful or or even WordPress. Uh, and then Sourcebit is the the bit in between that gets that content from where it's been authored and uh, translates it in a way into a format that the static site generator can turn into a static site.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And the way that you could, um, and I kind of see two uh, different ways of using the tool um, that that can help developers. One is um, making SourceBit part of your deployment routine. So if you're using um, a, a hosting platform like like Netlify, for example, uh, and you configure your deploy commands to be um um I don't know Hugo uh, Hugo Bill is it the, the build command for Hugo or something? So the, the, so the command that generates uh the, the static uh, the static files for Hugo, you would also have another command as part of that routine um, that would be something like source bit fetch. And so at build time, source bit will go pull all the, all your data, generate all the files that, that Hugo needs, and then uh, the, the 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 whole deployment will will already use those files and deploy all the content that is coming from the CMS. So that's kind of one one possible um, use case for SourceBit. The other one is to use SourceBit as uh, as a local development uh, um, in, in, in a local development workflow. So you can you can run SourceBit with uh, something that we call the 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 watch mode. And so SourceBit keeps looking for changes in the remote data source. So in, in this case, Headless CMS. And so whenever you publish an article or you or you change an entry in the CMS, SourceBit will um, will acknowledge that and it will regenerate all the files uh, for you locally. And so what that means for for a developer uh, working locally is that you can you can have your your uh, CMS window next to your uh, Jekyll or hugo site um, running locally and then you can see changes happening in real time you change something on the cms and then you can see the that change being reflected uh, on the on the local side which i i find super useful um so those are kind of the two ways that you could that you could use um sourcebit
1: so i guess for all that to work sourcebit has to know about both the system that the content's stored in and the way that the static site generator needs the files organized in the file system? How do those two things work?
0: So Sourcebit is a, uh, a plugin-based um, architecture. So the idea is that you're going to have different types of plugins that will accomplish different tasks. We have something that we call the source plugins, which are solely resp- responsible for... Connecting to a data source um, like Contentful, for example, and they will connect to the data source. They will pull content and they will uh, normalize that content into a format that um, that is kind of uh, agnostic of data source, such that. If you want to connect multiple data sources, say you're using WordPress and Contentful and Sanity, for example, all the content from those data sources will be normalized into a format that is kind of standardized across the board. Um, so the responsibility of the of the source plugins will be to do just that, to connect to a data source, normalize the content, and put them into a, a bucket of data. And then you have. Another type of plugin, which we call a target plugin, and the target plugin has no knowledge whatsoever about where the data is coming from, but it knows about um, a particular piece of software that is expecting uh, that data. For example, you might have a target plugin for Hugo, a target plugin for Jekyll, so the target plugin will be responsible for writing that data in the specific format and in the specific locations that uh, the static site generator is is expecting, um, and then you might have uh, other types of plugins that don't know about the source and don't know about destination. They're just responsible for kind of massaging the data and, and doing all sorts of transformations in between. So that's kind of the um, the way that the, the tool is is organized. Um, and I think the benefit of that approach is that each Plugin is only concerned about um, a specific area. So, if you are, let's say, that you're um, maintaining the the source plugin for Contentful, you don't ever need to worry about what static site generators will be supported. You just worry about maintaining that specific plugin. Then we take care of making sure that it can be, you know, plugged in into any combination of of static site generators or different um, outputs that you want to use. So
1: is it possible to have uh, multiple sources uh, running at once and use Sourcebit source bit uh, more like a content aggregator to, to pull in from lots of different sources at once?
0: Yes, yes, it's totally possible. Um, and because we, um, and, and, and that's why we kind of use that that principle of uh, of normalizing the data, because you might have as many data sources as you want, and then when it comes, um, when a plugin comes in to kind of transform that data, uh, it doesn't really care it, where where the data comes from. Everything is treated the same, um, so it's totally possible to do that. You can you can configure as many source plugins as you want, and so it'll it'll pull data from as many places as you want as, uh, as many places as you want.
1: Yeah, that could be quite interesting, couldn't it? You think of a typical website that might have, uh, you know, a corporate website might have uh, a a blog in there. It might have copy from marketing. It might have job openings coming from an HR system, uh, and you could potentially configure um, Sourcebit to to pull all that uh, into one location before generating the site, which uh, is quite an a, a exciting prospect, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 CMSs are, are just one possible. Um, data source that you that you might use this tool with, for example, uh, one of my colleagues at at Stackbit was creating a a source plugin that pulls data from Reddit, for example, and that's just one very simple example of of one possible data source. Um, so as you say, it could get quite interesting because you might be pulling data from a CMS, might pull pulling data from um, I don't know Reddit, Twitter, or an HR platform, and it just all comes down together nicely. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a it's a it's a possible use case for it for sure.
1: What sort of plugins exist at the moment for different sources?
0: So, we launched the uh, the first kind of public version of the tool last week, and we launched with a two source plugins and two target plugins. Uh, so the source plugins are for Contentful and Sanity, and the target plugins are for Jekyll and Hugo. Um, we will keep working on new plugins um, internally at at Stackbit, but our uh, kind of our our goal is for the the community to eventually take ownership of of the tool um, as well. Like this is a f- fully open source MIT license project. And so we would love um, to see, you know, people creating their plugins and and building stuff with with Sourcebit that we haven't even thought of. So that's the ultimate goal. Um, we have been in touch with uh, people from different uh, CMS companies who are interested in, in building their, their plugins as well. So we're Work kind of in constant contact with them, um, so hopefully we'll see a nice uh, a nice ecosystem of plugins um, at some point soon. How complex
1: is it to develop a plugin if you've got a completely custom system that you know that you need to integrate with? Is it uh, a very involved, difficult task to develop a plugin, or is it easier than that?
0: Um, I'm a bit biased to answer that. Uh, I, I I like to think that it's simple and i've uh i've i've tried my best to make the process uh uh simple and also very well documented so we have um one of the uh one of the repositories um that we make available is uh, kind of a sample plugin where it, where we have um, a fully annotated uh source code for a plugin so we um we have uh, comments on each uh, um, on every possible function that you might implement, outlining the, the, the arguments that it receives, how you can use this function to get data from this, etc. Uh, so that's uh, hopefully that will be a very uh, uh, useful resource. We also have um, documentation pages where we kind of outline um, the 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 anatomy of a plugin, like how it pulls data, where it's supposed to to uh, to push that into so hopefully it it's it's a, it's a fairly straightforward um uh process but um you know different systems will will present different challenges so i'm sure there will be um suggestions and and feature requests from someone in the community saying you know i want to integrate with uh, with this system so i kind of need a way of doing this and 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 I, I, we'll be more than happy to kind of accommodate those requests and kind of work with the community to make the the plugin architecture better over time.
1: And it's all written in JavaScript, I
0: presume. Is it J- JavaScript
1: and Node. It is. It is. Um, I noticed that, and you mentioned uh, earlier briefly that you can run Sourcebit with a watch flag, and it will then come to sort of it will help you have a, a sort of live updating workflow. Is that something that needs to be implemented by the? Source plugin, or is that general to the system? Is it is it a polling mechanism, or are you listening for for sort of hooks and, and things from the, the the source system?
0: So each um, the the core application is is very lean, and it's not um, it's not opinionated at all. So it's up to each source plugin to kind of implement that functionality. Um, all the well, the core application uh, does on that on that front is it tells the plugin what are the kind of the options that the user uh, asked for. So, um, in the two plugins that we um, that we launched with, so we have one for Contentful and one for Sanity. The way that the watch mode is implemented in each in each of them is very different. For example, in Contentful. We have um, as you mentioned, a polling mechanism, like every every um in in a regular interval of time we like poll for, for, for changes. Whereas for sanity, we have like a, a running WebSocket that is constantly listening for changes and 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 respond to those changes. Um and, and but basically the idea is that the source plugin implements its own listening mechanism and it's responsible for telling then the core application that I have new content. Please update yourself. Um, that's kind of the domain idea.
1: That sounds sounds like quite a quite a, a flexible system then that should cope with lots of different well different sources and different types of system.
0: Yeah, sorry, I was I was just, just going to say like still on that topic of um, of flexibility. Um, one thing that I wanted to 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 mention as well is. Um, source bit is configured using a JavaScript file, so something kind of similar to what you would do with something like Webpack, for example, uh, although a bit, a bit simpler. Um, and so you have the option to, to, to configure each of the plugins on that file manually, but we also offer this command line interface where basically each plugin uh, is able to tell the core, applications, the, the core application the set of questions that it needs to ask the user in order to configure itself. So basically, when you run um, npx create source bit, it, it can create everything from scratch for you. So it, it pulls a list of all the available plugins. So you have the option to say, oh, on I want a source plugin for Contentful and a target plugin for Jekyll, for example. And then based on the plugins that you choose, it then asks you a series of questions that will ult- ultimately lead to a um, to a fully configured JavaScript file. So for example for contentful it will um, it will ask you for your credentials like how do I access your contentful account And then it will actually pull all the content types from contentful and it'll ask you, okay I found this content type called. Uh, blog posts. Uh, what is this? Is this a page? Is this like a data object? And if it's a page, where should I store this? Um, what kind of field should I use um, for the layout for the content? So it's a. I think it's a very user friendly way of 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 configuring the whole project. So hopefully by the end of this of this configuration. Process. You can just run a command, and you can pull the content straight away without without having to mess around with uh, you know with, with JavaScript files.
1: So that configuration process, answering those questions, then writes the um, JavaScript configuration file for you, which you can then presumably just commit into your into your source control and and distribute to other developers on your on your project or into your build process for running live. You, you mentioned um, a third type of plugin, distinct from the source and the target, that um, works on, on data in this agnostic format in the middle. What sort of scenarios do you imagine that being used for?
0: So we we created uh, a plugin that um, that is responsible for uh, transforming assets. So let me to, to give you an example. Let's say that using Contentful and you have images um, embedded as part of a blog post. And uh, by default, if you just pull that data from Contentful, the images will be using um, a live URL from like Contentful CDN, um, which, which is a totally viable option if that's what you want to use. But you might want to instead um, serve... The images alongside the content, so have them in your repo and served from whatever uh, um, you know, whatever service you're using to to serve the site as well. And so that that plugin in specific, it will look for any assets that you're using. It will pull those those assets down, download them um, to, to 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 your uh, basically to your uh, to your repo. Uh, or to your local file system, which you can then push, and it will replace any URLs uh, in your in your files that reference that that remote URL. It'll replace those with references to the local files instead. So basically one when you push the site, you push the content and the assets and everything will just work um, seem, seamlessly. Uh, so that's one one example of kind of a transformation plugin that is not pulling. Um, it, it's not it's not specific to a data source, and it's not specific to a static site generator. It just transforms things in between.
1: So you mentioned that there's there are target plugins for you say Jekyll and Hugo. Are there any that you're expecting to see uh, in the near future?
0: Um, well, I'm a big fan of 1T, so I'm really hoping to see um, an Eleventy plugin uh, coming out uh, fairly soon. Um, uh, and then, and then I guess, like there are some, uh, there are some static site generators that um, that already have their own kind of plugin ecosystem. So I'm I'm, I'm curious to see if if people will still um, will still uh, find the need to have a source uh, a source bit plugin for those types of static site generators. Um, like uh, another, another possible way that you can use Sourcebit, by the way, is if you're using something like Next.js, so like a, any, any node-based um, um, static set generator. You don't necessarily need a target plugin. You can just require Sourcebit as an NPM module. And you can you can run the all the all the fetch uh, uh, all the fetch uh, all the mechanisms for fetching data. You can just run those as in-memory functions and and get your uh, your content available as part of your Next.js pages. So I guess for those to answer your question, I guess for those we won't see target plugins specifically, but you can already use Sourcebit in that way in terms of the next source plugins i would I would expect to see 11 and maybe a, a few other kind of file based um static section generators in the near future
1: this is all quite exciting stuff i think is it is it just you working on it in terms of development or there is there a, a, a bigger team
0: um i've i've been the, kind of the main um the, the main developer working on it but it's but it's a team effort um so it's it's something that um, that um, a bunch of people at at Stackbit identified as a problem, and we've been and you know, working together on on kind of the specification and the, the right way to approach this. Um, I just happen to be, you know, the guy pressing the keys to uh, to make it happen.
1: And I guess uh, Sourcebit is actually going to be very useful for for Stackbit customers, which is Stackbit's motivation for for. Developing and, and contributing this, but ov- obviously it's going to be useful to a much wider audience than than just Stackbit's
0: customers. Yeah, we, we have uh, we have big plans for for uh, for Sourcebit internally. To you know, it, it'll really help us um, kind of achieve our, our our mission in terms of of making Jamstack accessible to as many people as possible. But we wanted to make sure that that we um, that we share this this particular project with the community because we we feel that it'll it'll help a lot of people regardless of whether they're interested in using uh stackbit or not so uh, that's why it's a fully open source um project
1: that's great is there anything else you'd like to tell us about sourcebit
0: um no i would just, I would just love people to to try it out to uh, there's there's um um, so I'm sure we can we can share links to like the, the, the repo and stuff like that. Um, there's there's a YouTube video in uh, in the main repository uh, that shows um, uh, how the experience is like when using Sourcebit with a headless CMS and a static site generator. So it kind of gives you a, an idea of of what it's like to use the the CLI and the whole interactive setup process. Um, and I would just love people to, to try it out and, and get in touch if they think it could be improved or it's terrible or it's great or it's helping them. So, yeah, I would love to, uh, to hear from people.
1: That's great. And we'll link that all from the show notes. But also uh, uh, Sourcebit can be found at github.com slash stackbit HQ slash Sourcebit. Um, so I've been learning all about Sourcebit today. What have you been learning about lately?
0: So I've been, I've been super interested in, in learning about serverless um, and it's—I've um, actually been trying to to learn as much as possible about it for, for the past few months. Um, it, it's a concept that I'm that I'm super interested in. Um, it's one—it's one of those kind of uh, uh, seismic changes in, in how you approach development. Um, and I'm super interested in kind of the the use cases that it has and in and, um, and kind of the d- different ways of, of of rethinking how you build an application um, for serverless. So that's something that I've been trying to read uh, about as much as possible and just playing around and trying like side projects and and yeah, it's a, it's an area I'm super super passionate about.
1: It's very interesting, isn't it? Quite a, a shift in how you have to think about projects.
0: Definitely, definitely. There's a there's a metaphor, and I don't want to ramble about serverless here. But just the, uh, a, a metaphor that I that I think is really helpful is to think about serverless as uh, kind of using Uber as opposed to owning a car. Like it forces you to. Um, like you still have a car. Like the the, the term serverless is a bit maybe is a bit misleading because you still have a server. But you know, if you have a car, you might just leave your stuff in the car because you know it's going to be there the next day. Whereas if you're using a Uber, it it forces you to to rethink and and to to to, to acknowledge that every day you're going to get a new car with different people driving it, and you just have to adapt your way around that that fact. So I like to uh, that that metaphor really helped me. Uh, wrap my my hand around the the whole serverless uh, paradigm
1: yes i've not heard that before that's uh, quite an interesting way of uh, looking at it if you dear listener would like to hear more from eduardo you can follow him on twitter where he's at eduardo balsas and you can find his web development periodical build times at dot com. thanks for joining us today eduardo do you have any parting words?
0: Um, no, not really. Just, just for, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Um, and by the way, that that weird pronunciation from my last name, if you want to, maybe I should say that it's, like if you want to find my Twitter handle and website, it's, the surname is B-O-U-C-A-S. So Bousas is kind of the weird Portuguese pronunciation, but if you want to find him, it's uh, Eduardo B-O-U-C-A-S. Um so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for for having me. It's, it's been it's been a pleasure. This is smashing.
1: And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening and if you liked it, please share it with your
0: friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at smashingmag, smashing magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food.